Hey, welcome to Stoner Witch Radio. Another full moon is upon us, which means I've got another 13 tracks. I'm Melissa, the Stoner Witch, alive and well from Las Vegas, here to share some of the best devil music on the fucking planet. Hey, podcaster and radio personality, Melissa Spence, answer 100 questions in five minutes to win the Manitoba money shot. Huh? All this plus Ritzik beat Bilko on today's episode called Melissa Spence Shoots on Stoner Witch Radio. What's this guy doing up here in Manitoba? Manitoba. 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 It's the Manitoba Money Shot Podcast with me, Ronald George Moore. Ritzik is winning. Oh, this is one game I gotta be in. Podcast. My name is Ronald George Moore, and I have an amazing show for you today. The special guest is Melissa Spence. You may remember her from Streets FM back in the day. Now she just wrapped up her longtime podcast called Stoner Witch Radio. And while she was doing that, she also became CEO of her own company, Stoner Witch Records, which featured classic and current. Hardcore devil music. It's awesome. Uh, great, great show. I've been listening to it for years now, and I was very excited to speak with her. Uh, go to stonerwitchrecords.com, and you can pick up your own cassette, your own albums that you need to have, uh, plus a lot of cool stoner merch, a little grinder, maybe some rolling papers. It's all awesome. And also there are links to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can find her at um Melissa Audio on Instagram as well. Uh, She has a new podcast. She's a podcast producer, um, Indigenous Vision. We talk about that in the show. We talk about the village. We talk about sows. We talk about streets. We talk about, oh my God, Dauphin. So, so much. It was great talking to her. Thanks for checking us out. Bye. Okay, we are rolling. How you doing? It's Melissa Spence. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. The Manitoba Money Shot podcast. That's First right. time ever on like a, a Money Shot podcast that I've been I've been checking you out on the the Apple. I'm a, I'm an Apple listener. That's where I prefer to listen through. And yeah, uh, very impressed with your podcast. I love your intro. Oh my god. I love the work that you put into it. It's just it's so cool. Like it's wow. it's got that old school like theatrics vibe that I'm that I love. So thank you for inviting me on. I can't believe it. That's really why I got you here. I wanted the compliments. <laughs> you, are, 
You're handing them out. I, I really appreciate that. That's that's great. And of course, in in return, I love Stoner Witch Radio. Uh, I was that's listen, crazy. I, I would listen. I would look forward to episodes comes out to coming out. And it's so funny because it, it's a radio show based on hardcore metal thrash music, right? Death metal. Uh, uh, you call it? Uh, it's uh, devil music. That's right. I invented a genre because I just couldn't find what I wanted in the world. So I decided to just create it myself. And I came up with Stoner Witch Radio in 2016. And I had a good five-year run, you know, just over 100 episodes, hundreds of bands from all over the world. I, it, it even morphed into a record label that's still going right now. Yeah, insane. And, uh, yeah. That is insane Crazy, how right? you this love of, of music that you just couldn't get enough of. And then you turn into a business. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's right incredible. who would have thought like a kid from the north end of winnipeg would be out here doing that that's yeah. that's wild right and you're coming at me live from vegas you're living in las vegas i've been living here exactly a year yesterday which is why i jumped off the stratosphere hotel to celebrate as like a bungee jump oh my and then god i lived in phoenix <laughs> arizona for six years before that right right and before that you were in canada Am I, am I was I in Winnipeg. Yeah. in Winnipeg. I left Canada, uh, left Winnipeg February 6, 2015. I literally, it was snowing. It was like five in the morning and I threw my parka in the trash on the way to the airport. <laughs> and like, no, I'm not even joking. My life is crazy. And that I kissed my mama goodbye, got on a plane and got off in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was, it was like a summer day and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I'm glad I threw that parka away because right. I haven't needed one since. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get back to that, back to this, yeah. Uh, yeah. leaving Canada, coming to the States, what you've been doing uh, since you've been in the States. But uh, what I do with the show is always go back to the beginning. You just said you were uh, living in the North End. Were you born in the North End? Yeah, I'm a yeah, I was a little indigenous kid born to my parents. My parents are both 60 scoops. I grew up um pretty much on the north side of Winnipeg until I became a preteen. So I was born in the women's hospital. Um I kind of went to elementary school at various places in the north end and my parents were really worried about how my sister and I would turn out if we stayed in the north end our whole lives because it was pretty it's pretty violent a lot of crazy stuff going on Got a lot a of poverty yeah yeah so mm -hmm. my parents like did their best to try and get us out of there and eventually i think it was the sixth grade i was 11 and we moved to the south of winnipeg and i went to uh bonnie castle school was right. my first um i guess introduction into the south of winnipeg yeah, and two different uh, after worlds, that, right? I went totally different worlds. I was like, whoa, it was like culture shock. Mm -hmm. I was like, middle class, what's that? Yeah, and I went to Bonnie Castle School for one year, and then I went to Arthur A. Leach for junior high. Nice, and uh, that was kind of a uh, an interesting experience. That's where I kind of got into like rock and roll music, and I started experimenting with pot, and yeah, you know, met some cool people. and hanging out you know this is like mid 90s so it's like the grunge era hip-hop yeah. is like in its golden age and snoop dogg and dr dre and like and you, you were know, all Kurt Cobain. Stuff? you were all into that type, type of music or what what, what did you yeah, start listening I, to what was your introduction to music like my parents like my parents are like rock and rollers so my parents were like cool 70s people so when I came along in 81, my dad was like a rock and roller. Mm -hmm. And my mom was into like glam rock, Elton John. So I come along and I'm listening to like David Bowie and Led Zeppelin as a child and ZZ Top. Right, so I right. immediately was just, that's what I knew growing up in like CCR. So I automatically just loved rock and roll my whole life. But as a child, you know, I listened to the mini pops. I remember Thriller <laughs> coming out. Michael Jackson was a big deal. Thriller right. was hit really hard, right? Yeah, you, you said and you had then, a, uh, a sister? Yeah, I have a younger sister named you, Cindy. Okay, I was I was wondering if, if she influenced you with music, but I imagine you were giving her your albums. Yeah, I had to figure it out on my own when I came into my own, which was probably around, you know, the early 90s. I think my first concert ever was Soul Asylum. No, it's <laughs> awesome. Remember them? Ooh, did they play the concert hall? I, yes. Oh, I, I remember them. I may have been at that show, actually. 
I was there and I was like 12. That was my very first concert ever. I remember buying the cassette tape at like a max convenience store on like the little rotating spindle cassette thing that they had on the, on the counter by the register. So would you say it was more like uh, maybe much music was introducing you to new music? It was definitely much music. I mean, I resonated with obviously like the grunge rock more personalities on much music like Sukin Lee. Mm-hmm. I oh, loved yeah. her. She had that show called The Wedge that I would look forward to every day after Absolutely. school. Absolutely, yes. And then uh, the countdown shows, you know, I was a big fan of, and I still am of the Smashing Pumpkins and just like the the grunge rock I got into when I was a, a bit younger. Uh, Bush was big for me. Right. Stone Temple Pilots. And uh, when the Foo Fighters began doing their thing, I thought that was really cool too. I discovered Nine Inch Nails in the ninth grade when I was at Arthur Ray Leach. And it kind of opened this door. That was kind of like my gateway into metal was Nine Inch Nails. It was this completely different sound. The image, imagery was really wild and their music videos were really dark. Yeah. And I've been someone who's just always been attracted to dark things. I grew up watching The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a classic. You couldn't escape it. Right. Every Saturday, every weekend, it was on. <laughs> It had a huge impact on my upbringing. So I'd watch that as a child and I was just so fascinated by this, all these characters that, you know, Billy Van was playing. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that there's all these characters in a castle and they're funny and talented. And uh, the Wolfman and his radio show would mm-hmm. eventually go on to inspire me to do my, like that kind of a solo style show. Right, just being a creepy DJ, like just playing whatever and rocking out all by yourself in like a psychedelic dance room. Wow. Igor. Yeah, yeah, Remember? that's pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. I'll yeah. never forget it. It's like a comfort show that I sometimes Google on YouTube and just go go into a wormhole. I mean, Vincent Price on the intro and the librarian, I thought yeah. was so scary. Getting Vincent Price to do that show is amazing. And like, you you got to think like it's it's Canadian, so there's no budget. <laughs> you know, they they made <laughs> they did they made such great magic with with nothing. Uh, totally. Let's... So that's what I try to like expose people to when I'm around here. They're like, well, what kind of shows did you grow up watching? And I'm like, you got to check out this hilarious. House of Fright and Sun, especially if you got kids now, yeah. turn them on to it for sure. So, in grade nine, what kind of activities were you doing, or like in like say junior high, elementary? Like, okay, you love music, but what what other things were you doing? Were you? Uh... I played volleyball a little bit. Um, I tried to be, you know, I tried to conform a lot with a lot of what the other girls were doing. I definitely was not a cheerleader. I remember there was a cheerleading tryout and it was just not for me. Right. But I did play volleyball for a couple of years. And then my parents got me a guitar for my 13th birthday and I took guitar lessons. Oh, sweet. With this really cool hippie chick at uh, the St. Patel Mall back when it was like still the old, old, unmodeled, uh, unremodeled version of it. Okay. And I took guitar lessons and she taught me how to play a bunch of chords and then I got the gist of it, and that pretty much ended my quote-unquote jock era of trying to play sports because I just discovered guitar, and I was like, wow, I can play along to some of these, you know, riffy grunge chords and riffy grunge records that I got now, so I would dedicate my time after school just to playing along. I would record off of much music and try and figure out the chords, and uh, eventually I would just jam out with other people. I remember there was this guy named Davey that I would jam with. He had a drum set. And uh, he was kind of like this nerdy dude, but it was just really cool. So I would bring my guitar over and we would just jam after school, just like 14-year-old kids just trying to be creative in our own way because we just couldn't like fit in in the school curriculum or any kind of activities that were offered. Right, right. Yeah, so I got into guitar and that just kind of led to even more and more exposure to just rock and roll. And I eventually... Got a, got my hands on some weed one day. I was thinking, I was 14 and I got my hands on some weed and that was it. Once I discovered marijuana, I was gone. The stoner witch was born. <laughs> yeah, it really was. In junior high, I didn't really hang around with a lot of the people that were actually um, in my school. Like I hung around with like the people who were smoking cigarettes, who were skipping school. I know that there was um, a, a couple of group homes actually in the south end of Winnipeg. And I hung out with kids who were living in the group homes. So I just always... um, Sorry, intro. Are you talking about like Baylor? I'm trying to think where the group homes are in... uh... I used to... I lived right off of uh, Chancellor. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was always on Chancellor Drive. Yeah, Chancellor Drive. I lived off of like Chancellor and Mayfair. There was like these 
developments that were there for low-income people and that's where I lived okay. and then there was this group house that was just a couple blocks down Chancellor that a couple of people that I thought were really cool again come I'm from the north end so I I just feel comfortable around I don't know a certain type of people so yeah. I felt comfortable around the group home kids and I just always hung out with them and yeah we would get up to no good and I would just go along with it and right. maybe we influenced each other I don't know but we were smoking pot. We were, you know, we would recruit every once in a while someone from the middle class. And I remember this one chick invited us over during lunchtime to her fancy house. And we got into her parents' bar and we all got busted at school. Oh and it was you just one of those. At like, school with, with yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was like six of us. We all went and we all tried to drink and we were like 14. And then someone went back to school and fell asleep at the desk and the oh principal got involved and all our parents. Okay. So you're, you're causing a ruckus in the, in the causing a ruckus in the South of Winnipeg, you know, being the bad kids of Arthur A. Leach. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually uh, Salisbury house. Now Salisbury house, which one would be the closest there? Uh, God. Pemina, right on Pemina and Chancellor. There was like there used to be one right in that little oh, plat, that yes. strip mall. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I know that one. So we'd hang out there, and then there was this chick who whose parents were never really around. So we would just hang out at her her house, her apartment, and that's where all like the teenage parties would happen. And right. um, eventually, I got tired of it, and then I went to high school. And I went to Vincent Massey Collegiate. Nice. And. There I met even a bigger group of outcasts and weirdos <laughs> and outsiders. Right, right, right. Did you do well yeah. in high school? Were you doing okay? Like, were yeah, you, I did you able to get well. the grades as well as you know partying and whatnot? Yeah, I was. I'm. I'm totally a, a high functioning addict. That's always been my strength. As nice. you know, this party personality was like I did very well in school. I did very well professionally, despite having this you know, crazy party lifestyle. So that was with me in high school. So I entered high school, graduated class of 99. I was 17 years old. I graduated a bit early. So I actually moved out on my own during my last year of high school. I moved to the Osborne Village because that's where I would hang out. Once I discovered the Osborne Village, when I went to high school, I never hung out with people I went to high school with. I would just jump on the Pemina bus, go down to the village, and I met this whole scene of people who were like crowd. punk rockers and goths. Yeah, it was a total new crowd. I would go to all ages shows at Aussies, which is pretty much where it really began, was mm-hmm. those underground basement shows at Aussies. And right. I and was Aussies introduced to this. Yeah, was, uh, rest below, in peace. Uh, the Osborne the Zoo. Zoo. Yeah, it was a bar that is that now demolished, but it was it was a great place. It had yeah. its own beer store behind it. Very popular during Canada Day. Yeah, that place was amazing. That it was incredible. That's my introduction to the Winnipeg music scene was Aussies for an underground all ages show that I was able to attend when I was like, I think in grade ten. And again, mm-hmm. it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that I was like in a downtown environment with no parents watching this punk rock show. And I just couldn't believe it. I, would, I remember standing outside waiting for the bus to go back down way down Pemina and looking around and being like, this is so cool. This is where I got to be. Great. And I, I made it happen. And I eventually just moved there when I was in the 12th grade, moved in with a couple of people who were from different high schools from Tech Voc, actually, because we all met in the village. Wait a minute. So you were living in the village and then busing to Vincent Massey for your grade 12? Whoa. For grade 12. Oh, yeah. And I had gotten a job in grade 11 at Salisbury House. (laughs) You're like a fixture. You might as well get to work. Right. (laughs) My very first job was Salisbury House at Pemina. And oh, I'm starting to forget the streets. Stafford. Stafford. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked there 98 to probably 2000. Wow, pretty cool. Isn't that wild? I started off as a dishwasher mm-hmm. and I was washing dishes in high school and then one of the cooks died. Holy crap. So I got his job by default. And this is how my life went <laughs> oh, for no. many years. It's like I just happened to be around when an opportunity would pop up and I would just be like, yeah, I'll try it. Yeah, I'll try it. Wow. So I became a cook at Salisbury House and I survived off of that living in the village with like two other roommates on river avenue Mm -hmm. and uh working my sales job going to high school vincent massey eventually graduated 
and then just went full-blown Osborne Village party girl music heavy metal scene so you're living the dream essentially you're like uh... I'm living my teenage dream yeah I'm living in the village working making money to support myself Mm -hmm. enough to go to shows meeting all these cool people getting slowly integrated into the music scene discovering festivals and then I discovered the golf night so those would be like my two my two main um community outlets were golf night which would be held sometimes at the wellingtons and then sometimes at aussies yes and then I would even go to black and blue balls this is crazy I don't know if you know about the black and blue oh hell the poster posters are everywhere in the village yes the black and blue balls uh that was uh was that downstairs aussies Yep, it was there. I was on the poster of October, October 2002. (laughs) I was on the poster. Nice. I still got it as a fridge magnet. It must have been fun. I never attended. I always wanted to, but you had to pay like double if you didn't have the gear. (laughs) Yeah, 30 bucks for regular. Uh, I think it was like 60 if you weren't up to dress code. So (laughs) yeah, I got into that too. I got into like BDSM and I got trained to be a a party show dominatrix. So I would go down to the ballroom or the the black and blue ball and I would like spank people for fun. That's how (laughs) I kind of became this like underground show woman. People don't know this about me, but that's what I did from like 18 to 22 was this party dominatrix that would just go and party and get all dressed up and mingle with all the the drag queens and Mm -hmm. it was wild we would tear up uh canada day there we knew the greens we knew the pizza lady yeah we knew the guys working at the beer store in the back and uh i remember actually seeing nickelback at the zoo really playing on like some weekday before they were big and like i didn't even like them then i was just like who (laughs) is this we were at the pool tables in the back and we were like, gosh, what is this? Really? And then they became this huge bad. And I, I always tell that story. I'm like, yeah, I saw them at the zoo and I was just, just they just weren't for me. Yeah. But there was a lot of cool bands that I would see there. Yeah. I saw them before they sucked to everyone. <laughs> you know, or before they sucked it huge. <laughs> uh, wow. That is incredible. Okay. So you graduated high school. Did you go to university or is it just the ball was rolling? You had to keep on it. I uh, dedicated a couple of years just to partying right after high school because I was just so done with institutions and having to be on like a schedule. Maintaining a job was hard enough, but I did go to the University of Winnipeg for one year, I believe in like 2002 or 2001. And again, I went and I blew five grand and was just like, this is not for me. I'm just way too creative. I just, I don't, I don't, I can't spend like four years here doing what feels like kind of nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, so I took another break and then I traveled a bit more. I would go to festivals. I'd go to OzFest. When did the whole radio thing come into play? Because uh, you're, you're famously, we're on Streets FM. I was listening back to you back then to Streets. So I guess that's the first time I heard you, like on the, uh, yeah. you know, your voice was on there. And even I remember back then, I was like, wow. Obviously. <laughs> that's amazing. You, <laughs> your voice you have just that that great voice that was made for radio or you know like uh, you you must hear it all the time thank you i appreciate that you know people actually made fun of my voice growing up because it's kind of deeper mm-hmm. and uh, i would get made fun of a lot for having such a deep voice <laughs> but when i got older it paid off isn't yeah. that crazy but yeah so i developed an un- a really unhealthy uh, drug habit actually this is kind of ties into radio but i became a crystal meth addict from I believe age 19 to 24. And I managed to kick huh. it when I was 24 years old. Yeah, I, I did. It was like a big secret. I was able, again, I was a functioning drug addict. So I would go to mm-hmm. work. I would be up all night and still pay my yeah. bills. And, you're and then my best friend got cancer. Yeah, I was smoking oh. it, snorting it, whatever. Right. I was doing like I was doing a lot of drugs. But the, the peak was the summer of 2004. And then my best friend died of cancer. And it, that was the, the tragedy that kind of shifted my life into a more positive, I'm going to take my life a lot more seriously and appreciate right. it more because people are fighting for their lives. And here I am snorting whatever I can and smoking whatever I can. So yeah. I committed to stop doing drugs or crystal meth anyways. And um, I wanted to be a part of the music scene. And I just, I knew I was not a great musician. Again, I, I, I love singing. I love playing guitar, but I just don't got it. Yeah, you recognize. And I grew up listening. Yeah, and I grew up listening to 92 City FM my whole life. You know, the coach Scott Taylor, Roxanne, Roxanne Taylor, I believe, was on there. And uh, 
Howard Manshine was a huge inspiration to Another me. Another great voice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. every Sunday I would wake and bake and listen to a psychedelic Sunday with Howard Manshine. You know, it, it became a ritual. And I thought maybe I could try and be a DJ. I liked his particular style of broadcasting because he's passionate about the bands. Yeah. It's not like this corporate radio vibe. He's genuinely there because he's loving the music. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what I wanted to do. So I uh, figured out that there was the Academy of Broadcasting, which was uh, in its early stages, I believe is now part of the Herzing College or Red River College. Um, I'm not sure what it's evolved into, but it's now an official program. But in the beginning, it was just the Academy of Broadcasting. So right. I go down there and I apply and I blow them all away with my demo. And they're like, yeah, you got to get in this school. And I'm like, really? So wow. I go in and I read like this script on this little cassette player that they're recording me on. And they're like, yeah, you got to enroll. So I go back and I figure out how I'm going to pay for this one year course. It's like $11,000. And I'm like, wow. holy smokes, how am I going to do this? You know, I'm yeah. like, my parents don't got no money. I come from a super poor family, but I eventually get it together. I get a student loan. I enroll and I started September 2006. Yeah, 2006. Holy and shit. I rolled through that course and came out successful. Right. And did the, by finishing the course, did they set you up with a job? They set you up with an apprenticeship. And this is how it goes at the Academy of Broadcasting. You're pretty much paying for the apprenticeship. So it's up to you to perform at that uh, apprenticeship. And mm. I got put at uh, CKDM, the Parkland's best music, Dauphin, Manitoba. Oh, shit. You you moved that was my first radio job so i moved to dauphin manitoba for this no i, I actually went to the apprenticeship which was three weeks i killed that yeah. i got thrown on the air right away and they're like yeah you can be one of our djs and i'm like holy smokes this is all happening really fast you know like a year ago i was a big drug addict on crystal meth and now i'm being thrown on the radio and I just said, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I moved my, my little apartment to this other little apartment in Dauphin, Manitoba. The only Never emo. been there before. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. living in Dauphin. What's Dauphin? For like? minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Dauphin was a town of 8,000 back then. So it was pretty small. I got an apartment like two blocks from the station. Minimum wage. I could only afford a landline. I couldn't even afford internet. So yeah. I would literally spend all my time at the radio station. So this is like 2006 going into 2000. No, maybe it's 2007, actually. Mm -hmm. No, I have trouble remembering, but um, I got exposed to the radio world there. And uh, right. my program director was Bruce LaPere, Bruce LaPere, who's a big, another big music head. And I was inspired by his passion for music and the, yeah. the, the music director position at the station. So I became his like assistant. And that's how I got into programming. And right. um, I would produce all my own commercials. It was just a really cool experience. I took the midday slot and so uh, I was really good at- Were you interviewing people? You're, are you playing music? I'm playing music. So I get on at like 10 a.m. after the morning show, I jump on at 10 a.m. And then there's the buy and sell show that starts at 11 a.m. Oh, every I love day. Those. So <laughs> I, yeah. So I'm like this super personal person. I'm taking calls and like, People are selling all kinds of stuff. I could hear cows in the background or cattle in the background. Right. And it's just like a totally different experience. And uh, yeah, I worked with some really interesting characters there. Mm -hmm. The weirdest part of CKDM was that they didn't have a, a daily newspaper there in Dauphin. So their obituaries would get read live on the radio every day at noon. So I had to also take care of that because of my soothing voice. Right. Sounds up your alley, though. I could really, you know, I could yeah. hearing you read obituaries, I think. I think <laughs> compassionately and lovingly. But every day, you know, the whole town would just stop and listen to the radio because the radio would be playing in everywhere. I noticed that, too. It was like in Dauphin, you go to the post office, it's playing there. You go in the grocery store, it's playing there. Yeah. And everybody would kind of just pause at noon to listen to the funeral announcements. And it was it was a really interesting experience. And how long how long were you there in Dauphin? exactly a year oh everything's a year with you so like we're by the end of that year were people like uh hey melissa i heard you on the radio today were you like a local yeah. celebrity <laughs> i was slowly becoming this local celebrity because i was also a very visual you know i looked how i kind of look today 
Mm-hmm. In fact, that was an issue when I got to the station was that there, uh, that my look was still a bit too heavy. So I went out and bought like these weird gray pants and Crocs. And I was like, how's this? <laughs> and they like accepted me after that. Oh, I guess that's all it took, you know, some Crocs. Yeah, so some- Right, so then- I would work at this like super minimum wage, barely making any money. I'm hanging around the local bars and I befriend one of the DJs at the bars. So I became a DJ as well at one of the local watering holes. So I'm like nice. doing the on-air thing. And then I'm spinning tunes in the community in, which is like a notoriously old bar in Dauphin on right. weekends. Is that a hotel bar or is it? They're yeah. all hotel bars, right? So. It's a hotel bar. <laughs> And then what so I'm really getting into the community. I'm really getting into the community at this point. And then I get a call one day while I'm on air from a Rosanna Deerchild. And I thought it was one of my cousins pranking me because, you know, I got a big family. There's like reservations. You can hear the station out in rural Manitoba, pretty mm-hmm. far out. It's an AM station, 730 CKDM. And uh, I thought it was one of my cousins pranking me. And she's like, we got a job for you in Winnipeg. And I was like, yeah, right. And I hung up on her. Yeah. And then she called back again. And she's like, no, this is for real. We, we heard you on the internet. We know that you're an indigenous person. This is NCI FM in Winnipeg. Do you want to come down and do an interview with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, here's my way back into Winnipeg. Whoa. I go. Someone just basically handed it to you. So I... I, I drive down, I borrow someone's car. I think it was the news guy. I borrow his car, drive down to Winnipeg again. And I'm wearing this costume of like a, a dress shirt and my weird pants. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to look normal. I got to get this job. Yeah. And then uh, I think I was at the Mondragon uh, Cafe where I met up with them. And I do an interview with Dave McLeod and Rosanna Deerchild. And I get hired on the spot. So I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll take it. I would love to come back to the city. They offer me like a real salary. This is like my first real professional gig ever. So I go back and like give my notice and Dauphin, pack up all my stuff, say goodbye to everybody. And I'm like out of there. Right, I started right. at uh, NCI in October of 2008. Okay. And then must have been soon after that that Streets came along. Yeah. So I'm working again, the midday shift on NCI FM. I'm doing my thing and they're, they're constantly having these meetings about this new frequency they purchased. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're starting this new station. We're not sure what kind of direction to take it with. At first, it was kind of like they wanted to do kind of like the Hot 103 thing, the contemporary AC format where it's just like pop and all the hits. Wow. And I'm like, no, we don't We don't need another one of that. And um, I, I, then it was going to be a rock station. And again, we we're just like, no, maybe it shouldn't be that. And then it turned into hip hop somehow. Right. I don't recall exactly how it went, but um, I eventually agreed to be like, yeah, I'll help you guys with this. Again, another crazy opportunity for someone who's just a couple of years in to yeah. start actually developing a new station with someone. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, right? Like, you're not just a mouthpiece. You're actually, they're investing in you. Like, all your so, thoughts yeah. and ideas of what you can bring to the the radio. That's amazing. They took me seriously because I, I have been very passionate about radio. Like I said, Howard Manshine was my inspiration. And I just always felt really dedicated to just the art of radio mm-hmm. being, you know, lifting up the artists and connecting with community is also something that I was really good at. People just seemed to like me. Right. They liked to talk with me on the live show, the buy and sell. Like it was, it was a really fun time. And I've just always been super personable so I think NCI saw that. I started doing this countdown show for them as well on the weekends, and that eventually got picked up by SiriusXM. So I helped them get that. And then the station, uh, Streets 104.7, I think launched, um, oh my goodness, my dates are so brutal. Maybe 2009, wow. maybe 2010. But it took us took me four months to actually uh, develop that, like putting in every song, designing every hour of every day. Right. And it's it was a huge learning opportunity because most DJs, when you arrive at the station, it's already built. You just jump in the seat. You're like, okay, let's go. Yeah. But I had to like, like sit there and internally build a station, which was a once in a lifetime experience. So I embraced it and I somehow pulled it off and yeah. we launched. And uh, it was a, a really fun run of a, it was, a really fun. You were also doing the morning show. Yeah. Program and music director, yeah, kind of. Did. I wore several hats at NCIFM. We talked earlier, and you mentioned that's where you were met Paul Roblowski. because he started. Working. Yeah, so he was the third morning show host that I got to uh, work with. At first, it was 
Jay Boogie. Jay Boogie was the first one. He, I think he migrated over from Flavor 107 when they went down. I'm not sure what exactly crossover. happened over there. Yeah. yeah. So he came over to us. He's a Filipino gentleman. And we, we hit it off, you know, but uh, something happened. I think, uh, I'm not sure exactly how it went down, but it might have been something to do with like a citizenship thing. Either way, he's out of the picture eventually. Then we get William Prince as the second host. Wow. Was no known way. On air as Big Will. So that was, and we were like a comedy act together and That's we do right. our thing for, a, yeah, we do our thing for like a year. And uh, he goes off to do his music thing. And then Paul Rablowski steps in. Right. And uh, he was by far my favorite person to work with was Paul Rablowskis. I bet, for sure. Nonstop laughter. With Paul. Nonstop with that guy. I've never worked with someone who had such a great attitude. It, like, this guy was never in a bad mood. Like, we would be there 5 a.m., 5 a.m. Yeah. every day. And he was just like, yep, let's go. And I'm, like, dragging my ass. <laughs> yeah. And he really kept me going because of his attitude and his positivity. Like, and he was genuinely funny. Like people loved Paul Rablowskis and still do. Still and I'm really do. proud of the fact that I got to work with him. When did it all come to an end? Uh, we rebranded after a couple years of streets because streets was just too, it was just too, uh, I don't want to say it was just too out there for the business community. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of trouble finding businesses to advertise with us because it, there was just this negative association with the word streets. Like it sounded really North end scary ghetto style. So we wanted to rebrand it to kind of not sound scary to many right. people who didn't understand what that meant. So we rebranded it to rhythm 104.7 and kind of, yes. <laughs> kind of made it more like an R and B vibe, you know, to kind of make it more gentle for the yes. people who are sensitive and fragile mm-hmm. and, um, Snowflakes. As time <laughs> as time goes on, you know, I'm traveling a lot. So, like in my time off, I would travel to Vegas a lot. I would travel to Grand Forks, and uh, I I fell in love with Vegas on on a lot of my vacations. And I was like, I would really love to just live in the desert. And I think it was the fall of 2014 where I was just sitting there, looking out at like <laughs> at an event, and I'm like, I think I, my work here is done. You know, I. I had gotten the, the countdown show I was a part of on Sirius XM, and that was doing really well for NCI. I helped start this other station, and that's doing really well. You know, yeah. there's lots of new DJs emerging from the community, and it's really great to see all these young people getting involved in radio. And, like, my passion for heavy metal was, like, tugging at my heart this whole time. Right, I'm like, it's really right. great that I got to be a part of hip-hop and, you know, be this I don't know, beacon of light for like the North end of Winnipeg and indigenous people and kind of serve that community that was so underserved. Right. I felt like my work was done, but I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I broke a bunch of hearts and left Winnipeg and moved to <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. Just like that. You're like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Everybody thought it was nuts giving up my job. And when I'm at the peak of it all, I was just like, you know what? I'm out. Did you know I did, I did, did a great you have a plan or were you just I'm going to go to Phoenix? Like, were you thinking Stoner Witch Radio at the time or like, well, I definitely wanted to be a radio DJ. I was applying at a lot of stations in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. But again, not being a, an actual citizen of the U.S. really worked against me. And yes. I, I thought I could I thought I could weasel my way in, but I just could not even in person when I eventually arrived. That's right. You're trying just, to get a job and that way you can stay there. Without the exactly. job, you, you have to, I think it's what, half a year? You have to return. I'm not quite sure. Well, because I'm uh, Indigenous, I'm considered Native American, and there's something called the Jay Treaty. So there's an agreement between the Canada and the U.S. that if I'm an Indigenous person born in Canada mm-hmm. with a, over 50% blood quantum and can prove it, I can live in the U.S. with unlimited green cards so long as I don't break the law. So I'm already okay with that. Oh, that's- but I wanted to work in radio. Right. So you're applying, you're applying in Phoenix, no, no, no one's biting. Nothing, nothing. So I eventually just moved to Phoenix. I'd never even been to Phoenix, man. Like yeah. I literally bought a one-way ticket to somewhere I'd never been and was just like, I'm going to live here. My flight was like 6 a.m. on February 6, 2015. My mom picks me up and I got like my cat and a carrier. I got like three duffel bags and I'm like, 
this is my whole life. This is my, you know, 34 years in Winnipeg, all condensed right here. Right. Throw my big jacket in the trash, get on this plane. And I'm like crying all the way to Phoenix. I'm like, did I do the right thing? Like I just gave up like the most, my dream job, quote unquote. And Mm. I land in Phoenix and it's hot and there's cactus everywhere. And I met up with this girl that I met from uh, in Toronto. She was living out there. That's how I got into Phoenix was that we became roommates. So she kind of helped me get situated. Right. Well, that's so good. I get there and I'm living in like central Phoenix and I'm like diligently researching all the radio stations. And I show up at the classic rock station and I'm like trying to talk to somebody there. And like, I just could not break through. Wow. So I get a job or wherever I can get a job. I start working at like this taco place and yeah. I'm contemplating what am I going to do with my life? I'm starting from the bottom again. I feel like I'm in my early twenties again, working at a restaurant so then I uh, buy this microphone. It's like an H5 Zoom. And I just start, um, I start discovering these other heavy metal underground radio shows on the internet from other hosts. And I'm like, this is really cool. I didn't know what, there was a scene like this. What were some of the names of these shows? Do you remember? Hand of, Hand of Doom Radio, which is out of uh, Sweden, I think. Mm-hmm. There was um, the Doomed in Stone Radio Show, which is out of uh, Portland. And... Uh, the Electric Beard, which is out of New York. So I'd listen to these like heavy metal dudes. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like these guys are running their own shows. They're picking their own music. They're passionate about it. Yeah. And they don't give a fuck who's listening. Like there's this like underground cult following. So I give it a shot. I put a playlist together, a band that I, I try and just be totally um uninfluenced by anybody and just what would I play if I had free reign over everything wow and I put put together a playlist it started off as red vixen radio at first I oh. do a few episodes under that moniker yeah but then again like I still feel like I'm not truly being myself I've always wanted to use the stoner witch label you know the Melvin's album it's it's That's like right. it's just the the epitome of who I am, right? The stoner and the witch. I've always been too into the occult again. I yeah. credit the hilarious House of Frightenstein for that and waking that part of me up. I love it. I've mm. always been reading tarot cards. I've always been goth, and I've, you know, I've experienced or experimented with a lot of like underground philosophy uh, organizations, like the Church of Satan, and you know, Whoa. like I was a fan of stuff like that. Yeah, like I got right. into some really heavy stuff as a teenager. So I've always been like a witch and uh, I put it together and then I debuted in June of 2016 and I had like nine listeners for the first like few months and it slowly, slowly started to grow. Right. And this is on SoundCloud, like right from the SoundCloud only. That was your, yeah. Yeah. And I would say in the show, like you can hear my development going from like trying to break off this commercial style that I had into being totally just myself, which was mm-hmm. really hard in the beginning to turn off that. Hey, everybody, welcome to da, 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 da. radio voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can hear my progression go from radio to you know pure Melissa, the Stoner Witch, eventually. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really interesting to listen to. But it took about two years for people to catch on right. of Stoner Witch Radio, and then I eventually got like a fan base, and I couldn't believe that people were messaging me and being like, "Oh my gosh, I look forward to your show." There's so many bands I've never heard of that like I'm so grateful. Like you have this playlist up that I could check out, and the bands themselves are like, "Wow, thank you for playing our music." Nobody listens to us. It's really right. cool to to be lifted up by somebody. And I'm like, "Yeah, this is this is like my passion project." So I'm making no money doing this. It's just all passion. Mm-hmm. And it went like that for five whole years. Yeah. And then eventually the bands, like, because you turned into a record label, you started releasing cassettes of uh, some of the bands. Was, was that the bands approaching you? I actually helped somebody else with their record label. I had a crush on this guy from Chile. So mm-hmm. I was helping him out with his record label and kind of giving him the opportunity to distribute here in the U.S. So he oh. would take his bands, send the tapes to me, and I would ship them out for him. So while I'm like doing all this, I'm like, I could do this. I could totally do something like this, like this to see him do his process of like linking up with the band, designing the artwork, putting in the order to order cassettes. Like it was actually a really easy process. Right. So on 420 of 2019, I decided, hey, I'm going to try and start a record label too. And I got... (laughs) And because of my following on Stoner Witch Radio, a lot of bands were like, finally, like we've been waiting for something like this. And I'm like, really? 
And I had three releases right off the hop that did very well. What were the releases? And, uh, Stone Witch were a, uh, I know our names are very similar, yeah. but they were my very first release. They were a local band in Phoenix and they were so nice. So I got them on. And then I the second release was a band called Sahara who were from Argentina. Again, another wow. doom metal band. Yeah. And then the third one was Devil's Witches out of the UK, which was a collaboration with a band called St. Karloff. So those three cassettes, I put up my own money. I did a hundred each and um, launched it online with a really cool graphic artist who did all my graphics out of Argentina as well. Mm-hmm. He has a really dark occult style that's really sexy, but like empowering and really dark, which is kind of like my whole vibe as far as like the aesthetic of what Stoner Witch is. Absolutely. It's yeah. It's got what a I've great gone look. for. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. That's always the aesthetic that I've liked. Sexy, empowering, but kind of evil at the same time. So I find this artist who like gets my vision and he creates my logo. He, we do all this work together and we launch it and everybody fucking loves it. And Mm -hmm. I went on to release 31 uh, bands since then. Amazing. Amazing. And it's just been, the feedback's been incredible. Like the bands must be loving that you're, you're doing this for them and yeah yeah it's it's started to turn into like if you're if you are associated with my label like you are cool as shit right right it's not i don't take submissions it doesn't work like that i will pick you i will single-handedly reach out to you and be like i want to release your album because it fits with stoner witch the stoner witch um vibe yeah and and you were looking for them too because you yeah I, I remember you were going to rock festivals and going here and there and uh seeing mm-hmm. some of your favorite bands and that's what a great excuse to even go talk to them <laughs> you know, like, exactly so i would fan. just eventually network and then uh yeah so i created the label i did my first vinyl release uh also in uh october of 2019 so i got a taste of what it's like to make an actual record yeah. I did one last year as well. It's a lot of work. It's it's a lot more work than cassettes, that's for sure. But yeah, yeah. so I got a couple of records on my wall that I actually made. And it's it's really surreal to just see like a physical format that I helped a band make. I mean, to, for a band to trust you with their art is so huge. Yeah, It's just been incredibly humbling. And I'm, it's still very surreal for me. Again, Looking back on where I come from to what I've been doing right now, it's it's like a dream. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So when I reached out to you, I was surprised for you to tell me you're no longer doing the radio show anymore. What made yes. you, what was the decision to stop? I had a change of heart in 2021, just recently, actually. I, I don't know if it was the pandemic, but just there's just been a huge shift in my life. Like I quit drinking in 2019. I eventually quit cocaine, actually, when I left Winnipeg. That's another big secret was that I was a huge cocaine head during the streets and rhythm days. That's right. how I was able to get up. Get up to go, 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 for sure. <laughs> so I, I've reached this like weird point in my life where I'm just sober. I kind of felt like I got it out of my system. You know, like I I wanted to do something like Stoner Witch Radio my whole life and I did it. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like I, again, like I had that feeling again, like I had with that streets, like I have my work here is done. I eventually branched out into a podcast style show at the beginning of 2021. So I did the uh, Stoner Witch sessions. I don't know if you caught those. It's a bit different, a different take, like what we're doing now. I would interview people exactly, as yeah. opposed to playing music. So I got like a, a huge interview right off the hop. I got Ozzy Osbourne's bass player, Rob Blasco, wanted wanted to be on my show because he's heard about my radio show. Wild. And I inspired him to start his own radio show called Volume Forever. Oh, so really? go check that out. Yes, <laughs> it sure. is on record that I inspired. But um, he was my first guest on my podcast type Stoner Witch Sessions show. So I did eight eight episodes of that you know, just hit the uh, 104 Stoner Witch radio shows. And then again, I, I just feel like I'm done and I, right. I'm moving into something else. Okay. Do you know where that is? Mm-hmm. Um, more towards social justice. I'm being called in a totally different direction. And I'm kind of just excited to go back to just being a regular fan of music. What are some of your favorite bands right now? Right now, I've been listening to uh, Mephistopheles. They're a really dark, heavy band out of Argentina. They're one of my personal favorites. Um, what, what, what's new that I've been listening to? 
boy harsher, like I said, yeah. um, kind of getting back into the whole almost like industrial feel type of things. And I listen to a lot of different styles. Like one of my guilty pleasures is Lana Del Rey. I love psychedelic rock. So I listen right. to like the Black Angels. I know the Black Keys are doing a tour. So I'm going to buy a ticket to that. I love the Black Keys so much. Oh, cool, cool. I love Orville Peck. I know he's from Vancouver. Okay. He's kind of like, uh, you know, country. It's country, but he's like gay country, which mm-hmm. is like a, a new movement now. I love Dilly Dally out of Toronto. They're like an alternative um rock great name dilly dally i love it love dilly dally stoner witch records will still be going you're still you still have the label you can still go and order stuff from the web page and you'll be adding new bands to to it or is that i have one more release coming up i'm actually releasing a band again out of argentina they're called um serpent cobra i have one more cassette release i'm doing and then i was going to go on a hiatus because i think i'm moving back to winnipeg you're kidding. No way. <laughs> that is another reason why I'm kind of, I slowed down because I went, I went back home in September of 2021. My parents were getting old and I'm like, I had this epiphany of like, maybe I should be here for the rest of their years and yeah. be with them. But I'm so torn. I mean, I see the the temperatures and the wind chill and I'm just like, can oh. I really go back and do that? Yeah, it is. I'm the same way and I live here. I'm like, I do this fucking every year. <laughs> But it's just like, you know, we have, this year has been brutal, but the year, the year before, it really hasn't been that bad. It's kind of a milder winter, but yeah, for some reason it's been kicking our asses. And the only other option is to make so much money that I can just kind of do both at the same time and just kind of fly back and forth often yes. enough. So I'm, I'm actually going, trying to do that, trying to do that. Cause I well, do, I have my own voiceover business here. That's how I make money is I do voiceovers and I produce podcasts and I do stuff like that. So I'm trying to trying to do that. What podcast do you produce? I produce a podcast that I do with my friend called Indigenous Vision. And again, it's very Indigenous uh, focused. And that's kind of where I'm moving into the social justice kind of uh, work. We're doing cultural humility training. So we're really just trying to trying to do our best to shift this mindset of what's been colonization. Right, right. For sure. Pretty much. It it gets really deep and heavy, but that's pretty much how I feel like I can impact the world and try and make it a better place is by using my voice and my skills now to, you know, invite people who want to change and make change in the world by going through our trainings and, and helping their organizations take better steps to be more inclusive and actually be an, you know, diverse, inclusive. Yes actually actually do it instead of just putting on a mission statement mm-hmm. and actually not just really uh, a headline it. you know exactly being so and it takes unfortunately you know i've tried to figure out how to help the world be better and i think it, it, it it's like a one-on-one process so that's what we do we take small groups of people who want to change and we help them break down some of their biases and prejudices and hopefully go back to their organization and implement new policies to slowly (laughs) shift the world wow but it's it's like being a tiny person swimming in this huge tidal wave so (laughs) exactly what a challenge oh well i can't wait to hear it indigenous vision um all right let's do it it's the mental money shot Mrs. Spence, you are, uh, you have, you're going to, you, if we complete this together, because it's uh, something we have to do every three seconds, there has to be a question and an answer. It has to be, it's rapid. And these questions are easy. Like it's like name this, this or that. Okay. What's your favorite? Melissa Spence, your Manitoba Money Shot. $20.04. And uh, on a personal level, Melissa, Thank you for your service. You've made this old boy so proud. Hail Satan! Name a Winnipeg movie theater. Park theater. Name a Winnipeg bar. Bar Italia. Name a Winnipeg restaurant. Salisbury House. Name a Winnipeg park. St. John's Park. Name a Winnipeg band. Seven Plagues. <laughs> Pick a number between one and ten. Eight. Broccoli or cauliflower? Cauliflower. Bananas or apples? Apples. Rice or potato? Potato. Favorite salad dressing? Italian. 
Favorite soup? Tomato. Girls just want to have what? Dick and dope. Boys don't. What? Cry. Name a Grammy winner. Something Dion. Name an Oscar winner. Meryl Streep. What would you buy a Dollarama? Tongs. Uh, how do you like your coffee? I don't drink coffee, decaf. Favorite subject in school? Language arts. Name a movie you purchased. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Name a member of the band Kiss. Gene Simmons. Name a Star Wars droid. Oh man. Uh, the gold guy. The gold guy. <laughs> what do you bring to the beach? A towel. Okay, name a John. John A. McDonald. Name a Betty. Betty Crocker. <laughs> name a Chris. Chris Rock. Name a Manitoba city. Dauphin, Manitoba. Okay, name a Manitoba town. Selkirk. Name a Manitoba road. Ooh, St. Mary's Road. Name a Manitoba lake. Lake Manitoba. Okay, last concert attended. Lizzo. Oh, nice. Can you name a Winnipeg Jet? Old or new, Timo Solani? Uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Oh, no. Um, no. Any, uh, Winnipeg, any Winnipeg mayor? Susan Thompson. Name a business on Corden. Business on Corden. Uh, falafel place. <laughs> That's right there. Name a business in Osborne Village. Ooh, I'm going to go with an old school one, Divine Decadence. Uh, uh, name a podcast. Ooh, uh, Witch Police Radio. Nice. Name a dice game. Craps. Name a toy, your favorite toy as a child. Glowworm. Your favorite toy as an adult. I remember the glowworm. Oh, dear. Uh, uh, I like uh, squishy balls. Name a nut. <laughs> Hazelnut. Uh, name a local beer. Even in Vegas, whatever. Name a beer. Aruba Red. Uh, who does your laundry? I do. Mac or PC? Mac, 100. Name an actress from Charlie's Angels. Cameron Diaz. Name a real reality show. Uh, the Surreal Life. Uh, name an SNL character or cast member. Saturday Night Live. Uh, Will Ferrell. Name a talk show host. Oprah. Ring around the what? Jesus. Rosie. Uh, Facebook or Twitter? <laughs> Facebook. Name Sarah. Sarah. Sarah Paulson. Nice. Name a Beastie Boy. Rest in peace, MCA. Nice. What goes in the freezer? One minute. Heads. Name something round. Heads. Do you have a driver's license? Yes. Do you have a fishing license? No. You have a hunting license? No. Name a painting. The Nightmare. Name a book. Interview with the Vampire. Name a record album. A record album. 30 seconds. Uh, a record album? <laughs> Should be Electric album. Wizard. Uh, name Which a called today? Pardon me? A breakfast cereal. Ooh, Corn Pops. Name a film, any film. Uh, Ten seconds. The Devil Wears Prada. What are you putting in an omelet? Nothing. Uh, name a Marvel superhero. Captain America. Yes. Boom, that's it. Uh, that was five minutes. How did I do though? How many questions did we get through? Okay, let's see here. You got about 70. You got about 70. about right for me. I'm a pretty, uh, pretty B minus student. <laughs> but there's some good answers in there. <laughs> and also, I was looking, right away, I'm like, oh, God damn it. It's all Winnipeg stuff. You haven't been here in a while, or, you know, like, it's like, what a, yeah, I should change them up. No, How it's good. It really, it was great to think about Winnipeg. But again, like, I'm thinking like 10, 20 years back. So a lot of those answers might be dated. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, heck, well, um, Melissa, this has been amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate you. I'm a huge fan of your work. I've been listening to you for two decades at least. And, and uh, I just really, it's amazing. And I'm glad to hear you're coming back and you're going to shake things up uh when you see what happens yeah Uh, yeah i've been contemplating should i go back into radio if i go to winnipeg can the world handle it i don't know (laughs) i don't know i'm gonna keep listening to those stoner witch radio episodes on mixcloud please do the same everyone listening because they are awesome you have great voice you have awesome taste in music and i don't know any of it which is the most amazing thing and i always love it so um cool yeah when you come in we'll We'll hang out. We'll have dinner. We'll go to Sal's. For sure. Okay. Hell yeah. Talk okay. To you later. Bye. Bye.